episode of Soapboxing with Corian. I am your host, Corian, and today we are here to discuss, it could be a pretty sensitive topic for some soap fans, I feel like. Um, basically, the question that we're going to be posing today to the panel is, is classic always the best way to go when it comes to our soap operas? And speaking of our panel, today we have a very how can I put this? <laughs> we have a very opinionated group of soap fans who I'm very excited to hear their thoughts on this matter. Uh, today we have Ashley, we have John. This is his first, this is his debut on Soapboxing Pod. We have Dylan, and we also have Richard here for the first time. Uh, so how's everyone doing today? Doing well. Yay, thanks for coming. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having us. Of course, of course. So, as I mentioned before, the main question today is, it really, if you really think about the soap opera, people who, you know, non-watchers and watchers alike always hearken back to those classic times where everyone was watching soap operas at 10 million views every single episode. It was water cooler talk. Everyone knew every single character. That is not the world we live in anymore, but people still do want that to some capacity. So my question that I wanna to pose to everyone, this will be the overarching sort of thesis question. It's basically, you know, soap operas are now more than ever, in a more dubious position than they were five, 10, 20 years ago. What do you think will keep them around for more years to come? Is it going to be a return to the classic storytelling that everyone has been dying for? Or is it going to be more so a full innovation of the entire genre? So last night I ran a quick poll on my Twitter basically just asking, should soaps go back to old tried and true storytelling to get more viewers, innovate, or is it too late for them? I got 73 votes, and with 50.7%, people felt that these soaps should innovate. 42% wanted to go back to classic storytelling, and then 6.8% said to give up. What do you guys think about those results? <laughs> I'm gonna throw. I'm gonna throw that uh, to Ashley because you're giggling. No, why? Why do you? Know? I'm throwing it to you. Oh, you're giggling. I I just I'm giggling because I'm part of the six percent. I think. Um, Me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I honestly, if we're talking about trying to get a new generation or trying to get new viewers and new eyes on these shows, I think that common sense would say to innovate because uh, that's what makes sense. That's what you know. Primetime does all the time, but. 
if I remember correctly, as much as I loved certain storylines, especially, you know, the Maya storyline on Bold and Beautiful, their ratings didn't exactly increase any more than what they already were. They kind of stayed mm-hmm. what they were. It wasn't like, you know, they had this amazing trans storyline and, you know, they were on getting all these GLAD awards and, you know, being talked about in the community. And all of a sudden their ratings went from three point like two million to five million. Like that didn't happen. Right. So as much as I say want to say they should innovate, it's like I don't think that that's going to work at this point. I think at this point you need to go back to what you were doing before in a sense, in a sense. So I'll get back to that in a second. But I think you need to get back to reeling the viewers in from 20 years that stopped watching. As yeah. far as brand <laughs> new viewers that have never watched a soap opera in their life, that ain't happening. In 2020, I'm going to tell you that now. It's just not going to happen. But if you bring in the viewers who stop saying, oh, I'm not going to watch. They killed off Drusilla. I don't want to watch the show anymore. And then give them something to be excited about. Maybe they'll start watching again. You know, that's just my opinion. So what about you, John? I agree and disagree completely with what you said. Um, For me, I do think that you can get new viewers and i do think that innovating can help i think the problem is that they for example use maya storyline on bnb that the avon storyline was progressive and innovative and interesting but then the rest of the show didn't follow suit and so when you're a new viewer trying to tune in it's, it was just kind of yeah you, you we're talking about new viewers tuning in like one of our favorite shows here at Artec Media and I mean on Twitter as a whole is Hollyoaks. And how many of those viewers are brand new viewers to soaps? If you look on the Twitter like timeline, you'll see there's a bunch of 16 year olds on there gathering up and just talking about, you know, how awesome the show is and how interesting the genre as a whole is. I think you can captivate audiences and you can get the viewers, but you have to tell the full story and you have to be innovative completely and wholeheartedly when you're still using recycled dialogue in scenes and you're talking down to the audience in 75% of the episode, but that other 25% might be good. That's not enough, but you also have to focus on the promotion and the, you know, getting the word out and not just through the soap media, but through other avenues as well. I think the genre is not dead yet, but if it stays the way it's going, then yeah, just cancel it and we can restart over. But so you're so you're for innovation. I'm for innovation. Got it. What about you, Richard? Do you have any thoughts on this? Oh, I have lots of thoughts on this. <laughs> uh, I've spent I've spent the past 25 years of my life working in this industry. Um, and you're talking about innovation and classic storytelling as if they are two separate things. They're not. Um, If you look at some of the things that are considered classic storylines, they were very often innovative at the time. For example, you look at Luke and Laura, the biggest storyline in the history of daytime. It was innovative because, you know, part of it was they were freezing the world. That got people to tune in. But the reason that the storyline actually worked had nothing to do with Luke and Laura freezing the world and, you know, the, the ice princess and all that. It had to do with the fact that it had a couple at the center of it. And the couple was who we were following. And the couple was was sort of, you know, our, our rooting value. Because if you notice, after they stopped the story with the freezing of the world, the ratings continued to go up all the way to the wedding, which the wedding was the biggest thing ever in daytime history. So for me, um, 
there's a few problems. One is that the modern audience does not, it's been trained badly. <laughs> it does not have the capacity for what would be considered classic storylines at the time because they have a bad case of OCD. You look at some of the biggest stories of daytime, like for example, um, Guiding Light, when they when they did the whole Philip Spalding saga and you know that Alan was his father and Justin was pretending to be his father. And, that took years to unfold. The modern audience will not take that. <laughs> They'll be like, no, 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 no. I, you know, wrap this up. I got, you know, give her her baby back. Let's move to the next story, which is bizarre to me because if you constantly want the, uh, the payoff, then you're not actually invested in the story. You're just invested in that particular character having a happy ending. So for me, it, it, it is about innovation, but it's about, it's about innovating in a way that it also incorporates classic storytelling, the whole tune in every day. Um, I agree with what Jonathan said about the fact that um, one of the things soaps, modern soaps do that is teaching viewers not to watch is, and we keep using The Bold and the Beautiful as an example, so I'll continue in that vein. I love The Bold and the Beautiful, but Lord, it's got some problems. Mm -hmm. um, and one of those problems is that it tells one story at a time generally, mm -hmm. and it'll have like in this week's episodes, on the one hand, we've had these intense, great scenes with Steffi and Liam and the showdown and the confrontation mm -hmm. and the drug addict. But on the other hand, what's the other thing going on on the screen? It's Thomas and Hope talking about Steffi and, and Liam. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're not invested in that story, there's nothing there for you. And the show, that's half of your show is nothing but recap. You are telling the audience, you don't have to tune in every day because if you miss something, we're going to tell you what happened. And we're going to tell it to you over and over and over again. So yeah, I feel like it's a combination of both. Yes, I think innovation is necessary. I don't think the genre is going to die because I think what's going to happen is we're going to see a rebirth. It may take a different format. You know, it may happen on cable with things like the haves and have nots, shows like that, that, um, that are sort of, that's a brave show that tells things that daytime would never tell. And I think daytime is either going to have to adapt or that section of daytime will have problems. I think we'll see something else take its place though. Good notes, good notes. What about you, Dylan? Um, yeah, I, I agree with Richard. I think you have to kind of combine the two because the thing about, well, okay, well, I'm a romance novelist and in romance, one of the things that we're taught is genre expectation and reader expectation. When you pick up a romance novel, you expect at the end, your couple is going to end up with a happily ever after. If you disappoint your reader, they are never going to buy your book again because you didn't give them what they wanted. When we tune into a soap opera, we want romance, we want adventure, we want you know family drama. There are things that we as viewers expect to see. And so in that vein, you can't stray too far from you know quote unquote classic tropes, classic storytelling, because that's what we're here for. It's figuring out how to tell those stories in a way that connects to today's audience. And, you know, maybe taking some chances. Like, it's interesting to me um, that everyone has so much praise for Maya's story because I had issues with that. And one of my biggest issues was if you're going to go there, go there. In, you know, 2020, when Pose is one of the biggest shows. There is zero reason why they couldn't have cast Nicole as a trans actress and told that story 
through her. If you're going to go there, go there. Yeah. So yeah, if you're that's a good point. Point, I don't give you credit for going halfway. I don't. I just, I don't. Yeah. And I think I, I feel like I lie somewhere in between the innovate and give up option only because all of these things sound great on paper. It is a genre that I love. It's a genre that I do wish to see survive and flourish again in whatever capacity, but they've had decades to learn and correct this behavior. You understand? Like this, the cultural shift that Richard brought up didn't happen overnight. These Netflix wasn't just suddenly there <laughs> and they have this option, you know? A smart executive who knows their brand, who knows their show, who knows their audience, like like Dylan also just highlighted there as well. Like you, you should know these things of your viewers and you should know these things of just viewers in general and their actions and how they move, you know? It's, it's like consumer research. These trends have been happening for years and there's been no concrete movement toward improving that and innovating. So for me, it's getting to a point where it's basically just like, is this ever going to happen? I don't think so. Um, and I, I wish it weren't the case, but it, that that's just how I feel with that because it, a generational shift, it's called a generational shift for a reason. It takes time. It doesn't take place in just you know two years. And they've seen this generational shift and they've done well, nothing to course correct. I think that there's a little bit of a misconception there. Um, it's not necessarily that it's a generational shift as far as viewers are concerned. It's that, it's that the entire environment in which daytime exists has changed. I mean, if you think about it, when, when, when I started in this business in 1997, I think it was, there were 17 shows. Um, th there were also, there was no, you know, cable was not a big thing at the time. Um, it was, it was becoming big, but it wasn't what it is now. There weren't 350 channels in every home. Netflix wasn't a thing, you know, every, it, it, it's, it's a complete change in the landscape. Other things have changed as well. You know, we had, we saw women, more women in the workplace than ever before. So because the women weren't home and the women weren't watching the shows, they also weren't doing what my mom did, which was I grew up watching the show with my mom. Cause you know, my mom was watching it. There was one TV in the house so that's what we watched. So on the one hand it is generational, but on the other hand, it's also like this, this massive cultural shift. And I think the reason we're seeing soaps um, sort of I don't want to say stagnate, I hate that word, but it is sort of the word that comes to mind. I think the reason we're seeing that is all of the executives, all of the powers that be, they live sort of with a foxhole mentality. The, the ratings have gone down, down and down, and they're afraid to try anything new because they're like, well, if we do something new, the ratings might go down. So they just keep doing the same thing over and over again, even though it's working with sort of a diminishing set of returns. So. You know, that's that's the big question is, you see it constantly. Um, I don't like to use Twitter as a metric necessarily because Twitter tends to create an echo chamber. You know, like-minded fans, you know, it, it makes sense. Like, like, think about your own Twitter feed. The people on your Twitter feed are going to be people who basically think the same things you do or have the same basic opinions that you do because you're not gonna be, you're not gonna be interacting a lot with people who have diametrically opposed opinions to you. So I tend to try and look beyond 
just the the Twitter sphere at at all aspects of you know like like I get daily I get daily breakdowns of like you know Facebook viewership and Twitter viewership and in Pinterest viewership, which is weird. Um, and I think I think the problem becomes sort of not knowing how to reach those people without losing the people that you already have, because you'll see it all the time. The first thing people say is, right for the vets. The second thing people say is, oh, I'm tired of these newbies. But those newbies, every vet was a newbie at some point. So if you don't introduce new characters, you can't move on to the next generation. In some ways, I think soap fans are their own worst enemy, honestly. Well, that's the thing. So basically what I meant by generational shift was not so much what you implied there. What I meant by generational shift is more so that we are in a completely different generation now. And the generation that is at the helm of these shows are not a part of that generation. And they don't identify with these things. These people probably might not know how to gauge their audience through Twitter or Facebook or like these other mediums that you mentioned, which are important. Um, but I think, I think what is valuable that these shows really do have to understand um, like wholeheartedly is that whether or not you know how to get there, the landscape has changed. And there needs to be like concrete sort of change that appears on screen. I feel like when was the last time that we saw someone actually commit to that change before, you know, like there have been things, there have been, you know, subtle, subtle movements towards being better and innovating, but has that really stuck? And my question, my next question uh, ties back to basically the early COVID lockdown time. So like, as we saw YNR and B&B ran out of new content and they aired a lot of classic episodes and that was a huge thing. It was like enormous. So a lot of these classic episodes actually took over a lot of the new episodes. Um, you know, Days was still filming uh, and they were still airing new episodes. Why did you think that like, what about that, if you tuned in, because I didn't tune in, but if you tuned into the, <laughs> the, the classic episode marathon, like, what about that kept you motivated to keep watching? Because we've seen these stories, we've heard about these stories, and some people chose those stories over currently airing stories. Like, what, what about those times do you guys really miss? I'm going to throw that to Jonathan. Yeah, I figured you were. So during that time, I didn't watch all of the repeats but i was doing my own marathon of classic bold and really just enjoying the late 80s and kind of watching it concurrently and kind of seeing what the show was and then i tune into certain episodes for yr and bnb and for me it was just the quality difference like i found myself instantly invested in the characters of say drusilla and the winters family and going back to the brooks going and seeing all of these old characters that i've heard about but never got to see the first time and i found myself invested in those characters the dialogue wasn't talking down to me it felt like i was really just invested in the story and the sets and the music like i understood finally what all those people on twitter that were telling me about you know how great the newman ranch used to be and and how uh the music cues used to matter and I kind of noticed like those things have been there all along and, and how it mattered. Um, I don't, I didn't start watching the shows till 2006. So I have no 
connection with these people and these characters and this time period but it was nice to learn some of that history and it felt like there's more care taken to the show in those episodes which allowed me to kind of enjoy it a lot more than say the random episode of a new show uh, would you say if you if you compare those past episodes mm -hmm. of bold and the beautiful to the ones that you watch currently like would God you say bless. the care is like one of the main things because i feel like if you think about storylines if you think about you know settings and all of these sorts of things there was a certain level of care because it was you know probably like one of the top shows in the country at the time like do you think that was like one of the main things that really stood out to you it, it did um uh, for example i'm watching 1990 the start of 1990 and bold and the thing that's interesting to me on in that is they're they have pretty much the same number of characters as we have now but they rotate stories they're not the greek chorus as richard um mentioned earlier where everybody's if they're not in the main story they're talking about it everybody kind of had their own story and then they had another story they were fully kind of fleshed out characters and it was that level of care that made them seem real to me which mm. allowed me to connect to the content in a much deeper fashion than i'm able to right now okay noted uh what about you dylan did you tune into any of the classic episode marathons on cbs yeah how'd you feel about them i think that you can't kind of discount the whole nostalgia angle because it is mm -hmm. for a lot of us we already do have attachments to these characters and yeah we already have certain feelings about certain things and so seeing it again was like you know a little feel-good bump but also there was a lot more i think like you're saying there was a lot more care taken in how things were presented and in how stories were told and how characters were crafted and how dialogue was you know written it was just mm -hmm. presented very differently and I, I don't think that we get that now it's, it's almost like you know going yeah. through the motions <laughs> yeah, yeah it's very everything is very surface level now and it's almost mm -hmm. like they don't trust us as an audience to be able to go with them if they're gonna go deep it's it's like they feel like we have to be spoon-fed certain things they have to explain and then flash back and then have to yeah. talk about it <laughs> it's like okay we get it and it, i don't feel like they they kind of did so much of that back then. There's, it, it, You don't think they did a lot of flashbacks back then? I think they used flashbacks a lot more strategically back then. Okay, 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 I'll take that. Because <laughs> it's like, I, I don't need you to, I honestly truly do not need you to flash back to the episode I just saw yesterday. Exactly. Four <laughs> hours ago, if I'm just binging it. Right. <laughs> I don't need that. Maybe if we're going to flash back to something that happened last month, okay? Or even if it were, and then, like, they'll flash back to something that's not even important. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> back very in the true. day, if you were getting a flashback, it was with a purpose. It's because it was integral to whatever story they're telling now. Now they'll just flash back because they're like, hey, we have, you know, two minutes that we need to fill. And so this is what you're getting. Very true. And, you know, I feel like 
to touch on your point about nostalgia, I feel like nostalgia is like a weird thing because obviously things from our past that can evoke, it's like it's like an emotion. It's it's something, it can be bittersweet, it can be happy, it can be sad, it can be so many different things, but it it evokes an emotion, but it doesn't always necessarily mean that it's like a great thing. So I wanna know, um, you know, I'm gonna throw this to Ashley. When you were watching these classic episodes, because I know you watched a few, like, were there any parts of the classic episodes that you were like, okay, I don't miss this kind of. <laughs> I don't miss this kind of thing. I'm actually glad that I'm not here right now. Oh gosh. Um well, let me think. Cause I only the only uh classic episodes that I watched was obviously Winter's Week. Um, and I also watched the Emmy Week, which actually I liked the best out of all of the weeks. Um, and as I'm watching it, I mean, I can't say that there's anything that I saw back, you know, in those classic episodes that, you know, I don't wish to see now or anything like that. I mean, the only thing that I can think of is there were some characters from, <clears throat> oh boy, let me not get myself in trouble. Let me shut up. Uh, I'm not going to say that. No, you sure? <laughs> I just, I was thinking about, uh, Beth Maitland's, um, Emmy reel and just how, she ate up every single person that was in that scene with her and how some people might have only been there for nepotism. I'm just going to say. Oh, it, it was. I'm not allowed to comment on. I know. <laughs> she, oh, that was such a good episode. But anyway, um, no, I can't really think of anything other than, you know, during the winter's week. I mean, it was obvious that the winters had been treated the same back then that they're treated now. Because mm. during the winter's week, I think in total they were on maybe four minutes out of every episode. And wow. they called it winter's week. And I was just sitting there like, mm, okay, all right, well, this hasn't changed. Good to see. <laughs> noted. <laughs> really noted. But yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed, you know, that whole classic episode thing that they did. I wish they would have stick stuck with it. Yeah. Rip open that, right? Not great. <laughs> Oh, also that. <laughs> so I'm going to throw the question to, to you too, Richard. Is there anything, you know, when you were tuning into the classic episodes that you didn't really miss? Or was there anything that you really connected to? Well, I think, and this kind of ties into a lot of what you guys were talking about. If you notice, when Jonathan was talking about characters, he talked about Drusilla. He talked about um, a couple of other characters who were have-nots. You do not have have-nots anymore. And I think that's a big problem is, you know, and, and I think this probably also goes to what Ashley was talking a little bit about when she was talking about Winner's Week. It's important to see yourself on screen. Every character on, on the soaps now is for the most part rich. You know, they don't, it's weird. Soaps, soaps do this thing now where like Victor Newman is this gazillionaire and yet he can hang out at society and nobody like, there's no paparazzi or anything bothering him. So they have these incredibly wealthy people who are also just normal everyday citizens. But if you if you were watching the episodes during um, Classic Week, remember they showed the first two episodes of The Young and the Restless. And they had this amazing scene where um, Jill's mom, Liz, sat down on the couch at the end of a day and she works in like, I don't know, some factory or something. And she's like, man, life sucks. Life is hard. Life is, you know, you get up every morning and you go take a bus and you go to your job. And as I was watching that, I was like, that is relatable. There is nobody on, I, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head who I look at the screen and I say, oh yeah, that's a real character. That's, we have more 
like almost cardboard caricatures now than we do actual characters. And I think that's the thing that really jumped out at me during a lot of classic week was, you know, even the characters who were over the top, like you look at Stephanie Forrester, she's over the top, but she mm -hmm. was also relatable. You understood mm -hmm. everything Stephanie did because her main motivating factor was her family. Everything she did was out of love, you know, sometimes misguided, sometimes a little incestuous, but it was all out of love for her family. And we don't really see characters now that are actually people we relate to. That's a really good point. Um, honestly, uh, you know, we'll be touching on this a little later in the episode, but uh, just a little teaser here. But I, I, when I watch these shows, I relate to... I try to relate to the character. I try to understand things more by the character standpoint, you know, as like someone who, like as a writer myself, like it's something that I constantly think about. Um, just like the motivations behind these particular characters. And you, like you said, you don't really get that anymore. But back in the day, you could really pick a favorite character and understand every single aspect about that person. And I think that is fundamentally missed on these shows. And it's it still baffles me that like, because that's the first thing you do when you write, you know, like, or at least when I write, like, I don't think of a story first. I think of a character first. Mm -hmm. I think of someone's story that I want to tell. And then I branch off from that after fully building out this character. And you don't really, you don't really get that anymore. Um, There's no consistency with characters yeah. anymore. Like I can't depend on, like, look, back in the day, I used to be able to understand that this character is going to do this thing because they feel this way and they want these things. Yeah, now I have to make it up. Yeah. Like, you have to be like, I think they're doing it this way. <laughs> and, and the thing is, they will say, oh, I'm doing it like this because of this, for this. And then two weeks later, they will completely switch it around like we didn't see it on screen. And so it's like, you can't, it's hard to invest in something that's constantly changing on you. Right. Well, tell and, them, and tell for them the modern political parties, because that's pretty much how they operate is. You didn't hear me say that two weeks ago, but it's interesting <laughs> because- Wrong podcast. Um, <laughs> it wasn't all that long ago that um, Chuck Pratt took over All My Children. Oh, and he very famously gathered the cast together and he said, listen, your characters are going to start doing something that the things that they wouldn't have done before, because, you know, I kind of like just create story and like throw it around and, you know, that kind of thing. I was like, no, that is exactly the opposite of how daytime is supposed to work. We right. know these characters and we know, how, as, as Dylan said, we know how they will react in a given situation or how they should react. Now, sometimes it can be fun to have a character react in a way you didn't if it's part of the story, you know, like if you expect that Victor Newman is gonna be furious at his son, Adam. And instead he's like, you know what? This is gonna be the time I understand you. If you sell that to me, that's a great story point. But if you just do it randomly because that's how you want the story to go, that's not how daytime is supposed to work. Yeah, it's like, um, you know, I said this before, um, Tina Sloan, that she played Lillian on Guiding Light. She made a really good point about soap audiences we will ride with you through whatever you give us you know made up countries you give us freezing the world you give us underground cities you give us a clone we will ride with you as long as the characterization does not venture into things where we're like nah 
that that's completely out of character. As long as you keep your characters in character, we'll 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 give you we'll grant you some grace and we'll we'll roll, you know, we'll we'll let you take us there. But the minute you start having people for, you know, basically just for plot purposes, doing whatever random thing works with your story at this moment with no regard for character history or even where you're going to be able to take it in the future, we're checking out because that's that's not what we're here for. Well, I have a counterpoint. Adam I have a counterpoint Adam that because my, especially since uh, something Richard just said before, uh, basically saying that it's not daytime. My question to that then is, if you really look at it, Sure, there are some characters who do act, you know, not the way that we're used to, but there's also a number of characters who are still behaving the same way that they have since the 80s. So my question to that is, isn't daytime and soap operas, isn't it about constantly evolving a story and characters over, you know, over time? Isn't it about changing these characters in ways that are realistic to their true characters and personalities? but not to keep them in the same space that they're in. Because for some people, it doesn't make sense. Uh, do you have any thoughts on this, Ashley? Not really. <laughs> no, you don't want to see, you don't want to see Victor Newman become a nice person? Or more understanding? Victor is, listen, I've actually been tuning in a lot this week and Victor is just so one note lately. So mm -hmm. maybe that's part of the problem is, is that these dynamic characters that were had, you know, equal sides, good and bad to them right. over the past and motivation. 20, 30, 40 years have just become, I don't know, just, he's just there. You know? <laughs> like, I don't know what Victor does. Like, he's just sitting in society, chilling all day, doing <laughs> nothing. And I'm like, oh, okay. All right. <laughs> that. <laughs> oh, and his obsession with being involved with his grandkids' lives is very odd. But you know that's neither here nor there. I mean, I I understand the characterization is very important. I understand that you know if you take a character that you've known for 20, 30, 40 years, and all of a sudden they start doing things that are strange or out of character, that that is you know it, it doesn't bode well for you know when fans are watching. However, I also feel as though if I've been watching the same character for 30 years and they haven't changed at all in 30 years i don't know i'm gonna i'm gonna look at them a little differently like for example marlena marlena i have has been a part of my life since i was two years old marlena today ain't eh? what she was you know when i was two years old and i'm okay with that yeah. like yeah. she hasn't they haven't made her do anything that's so outlandish but at the same time they haven't kept her in that same box either if anything she was a little bit crazier back in you know the early 90s <laughs> now <laughs> more interesting you know office desks and all types of things going on oh, back yeah. then but yeah. i think that's actually part of the point is I don't think I don't think a character needs to stay the same, but I think if you're going to have them doing things, and I think this is sort of what Dylan was saying, if you're going to have to have them doing things, we have to have seen them go from point A to point Z. Yeah. You can't yeah. move them there. Like with Marlena, we understand why she has changed the way she has. Mm -hmm. You know, we understand all the things she's been through. And so it makes sense to us that she doesn't react the same way now that she does then. But like for me, one of the most problematic characters right now is Adam Newman. I don't mm -hmm. understand Adam Newman. 
You know, Adam Newman is tortured over the fact that he killed someone when he was 11 years old. Okay, first of all, it was an, it was he was defending his mom, so there's no reason for him to feel tortured over this. But you feel tortured over this, and yet you don't feel tortured over the fact that you put on a dress, caused Ashley to fall down a staircase, lose her baby. You then threw that 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 the, the remains of that child. You threw that fetus in a fireplace. Stole Sharon's baby, gave it to Ashley, and then married Sharon despite the fact that you would you don't feel guilty about any of that, apparently. The thing you feel guilty about is the thing that we actually, you know, we're okay with. You you killed somebody defending your mom. That makes no sense to me. I don't I don't I don't understand that. And that is the difference between character-driven story and plot-driven story. This current yep. Adam story is hundred percent plot driven. Right. And is it wrong that to get around this stuff, I think what we do is what Corey I mentioned earlier is we make headcanon for all of this to justify the lapses in that. So like for me, Adam's motivation and the reason he does that is because, well, you know, one of the three or four times he's had amnesia since then, he just forgot all that. And that's one of the memories he just doesn't remember is getting the dress and tossing the baby in the fire because it's just gone. And that's he, you never mentioned it again because nobody else mentioned it to him. So, you know, it's just missing. We have to come up with only for it. The problem with that is he's not the only one with amnesia. Everyone else is. Like, when why isn't Nick saying every single time he has a confrontation with Adam? Why isn't he saying, dude, of course I don't like you. You stole my child and let me think it was dead for six months. So no, we're not gonna be bros. Yeah. Well, I have another <laughs> counterpoint to that, actually. Oh, sorry, but go ahead. You go first, Dylan. No, I was gonna say, and also the thing is, um, it goes to the point you know, Richard was making about seeing Marlena's evolution. It, you can, a, a character can change from what they were to the complete opposite, as long as you take us on a journey. Like look at Bobby Spencer, look at Monica Quartermain, look at who they are now and look at who they used to be. We understand exactly how they got from, you know, town hellion Gold digging, scheming, lying, plotting. Hooker. <laughs> like, hooker. Right? Let's not forget Hooker. Of the night. <laughs> you know, all of that to upstanding pillars of society. We I thought you were gonna say unemployed, but <laughs> we we totally get how they how they went from point A to point B. But it's like if I tune in tomorrow. And all of a sudden, everybody in Port Charles is like in love with Sasha, and she's like this, you know, admired and revered character. I'm gonna be like, when did that happen? And why did that happen? And I don't care how many times you tell me that happened. I didn't see it happen, so I'm not buying it. So it's well, like <laughs> you, you kind of. They don't really take us on a character journey anymore with these Damn, characters. Yeah. They just tell us, okay, this is the way it is. And I'm like, no, that's not the way it is. Cause I I I saw what I saw. <laughs> you know, like, never, like you will never I don't care how many times they have people say what a wonderful man he is, what a great father he is, whatever. You will never sell me Sonny Corinthos. The respectable pillar of the fuck. <laughs> oh, <community>. God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Never I, absolutely. 
Absolutely. I think that goes back to what Richard said, though, about people's um, ability to let long story play out. Because all those examples you just gave, those are long stories that, you know, took time and care to tell. Whereas now we had Nell's baby switch. And from the moment that baby was switched, people were complaining that this story is being dragged out from day one. Listen, well, it did take two years. Brad was still <laughs> so I'm, I'm, right. I'm not the person to talk to about that. Because if I had my way, Michael wouldn't have found out about Wiley until Wiley was graduating high school. Same, but <laughs> that actually brings that up a that goes back actually to a good you know it would have been a Mike Horton situation <laughs> right. exactly. But that's actually a good segue into my counterpoint that I wanted to bring up. Um, so you know we've talked about character journeys and wanting to see these characters, you know, go from point A to point B to point C, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, you know, touching back on classic versus innovation, there have been multiple instances where classic characters who have been off canvas for a number of years come back in a new and innovative way and have often been met with the complete opposite of fanfare. <laughs> so I think the most recent example that I can remember is JT's return on uh, okay, but, mm. on Y&R. But Look at what regardless of... Regardless of what happened there, regardless of what happened there, this character wasn't on screen for a number of years. And we've also all, we've seen headlines, we've had friends and family members who have unfortunately gone through similar situations, uh, you know, dealing with domestic abuse. And who's to say the guy who used to be nice back in the 90s isn't abusive to his wife in 2019? But there was a huge, there was a huge, huge backlash against that. So I want to hear, you know, what people were thinking about that. The reason there was a backlash against that is because you're right. In real life, that is a real story. You know, like, let's say you lose touch with somebody that you went to high school with and then find out, you know, 15 years later, oh, crap, they're now an alcoholic who, you know, pees in the street and beats his wife. That's one thing. With daytime it does this weird thing where fans have ownership of the characters or think they have ownership of. So once that character yeah, left I would the say screen, think. <laughs> when Dylan left the screen, he stopped evolving. We Daytime fans will not let a character change off screen. If they don't see it, they don't believe it. And on the one hand, that's, that's how it should be if the character is on screen. But I mean, I thought Weiner did a great job of really, you know, with Mac, and sort of laying the groundwork that this isn't the JD, this isn't the the JT that you knew. He's been through a lot. He lost his mm-hmm. job. He like you know fell on hard times, and so it made sense that maybe he had changed over those years. But soap fans weren't having it. You're right. They were like, I mean, they flooded us with yeah. complaints about that story. And it's like, and I, for me, the the start of that story and the motivation behind telling the story for me felt realistic whatever happened down the line every every twist and weird turn that this storyline took to get to where you know it what it became regardless of all of that for me it felt viable and it felt new and it felt fresh but again these sort of fresh innovative ideas often are met with a lot of 
hatred and backlash. Uh, what, what did you think about this, Ashley? Um, or any other character that might have been off screen for a time and came back completely new and fresh? Yeah. I mean, you know that I agree with you with the JT storyline, mainly because I had no emotional attachment to JT. Yes, I did watch him for a number of years when he was on the show, but I didn't, he wasn't like my favorite character. I, I just didn't have any, I was open to it because I didn't have an emotional attachment, which we just talked about how fans do have that attachment. I feel like, what and this was under mall right oh god um i feel like he was trying to do something and i feel as though the way he was doing it mm-hmm. was actually interesting i'm not gonna say it was good it was interesting because it was a little Same. bit slower it was a slow build it was more emotional abuse verbal abuse he only put his hands on her like one time towards the end of the storyline if i if i'm remembering yes. correctly before you know they bopped him upside the head with the goddamn poker um <laughs> yeah i mean i i can't really think of a time where a character that i love is left and gone and come back and it's been like a completely different person unless it had to do with a recast now there are things that with recasts i will forget i was watching mm-hmm. Yesterday's episode, I I can get Canadian channels now, so I don't know if it was yesterday's episode or today's episode. But anyway, I was watching <laughs> an episode where Billy and Adam were like going back and forth in the penthouse about how he was going to take them down. And I'm sitting there watching. I was like, why do they hate each other? This is so stupid. And I was like, oh, wait, <laughs> killed his daughter. But this right, this so is Adam. <laughs> there's like so many Billys and so many Adams that I completely forgot about all of that. So, I mean, when it, when it comes to a recast, all of that kind of goes out the window. I but any other time i mean the only character that i can think that came back and was you know different was nicole on days but she's been different every time we see nicole she's different it depends on who the writer is but again i don't have any emotional attachment to that character either there was a time when hillary came back after uh, michelle's first pregnancy and they had this whole you know she has amnesia she was a completely different character when she woke up from that coma than she was prior but that had more to do with chuck than anything else but they we still felt you know the essence of who that character was underneath all the the craziness right 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 which i think is important yeah because because if you do think back to the jt story as well you know his change was acknowledged but so was the person that he used to be and it was confusing for the people on screen as well and yeah. that's why I think for me, like you said, like it was interesting. It was it was unique and it was it was like this slow build that made sense. Like even though he just came back after years and years away, they eased into this change. And I think and I think, you know, tying back to what we were just talking about, going on a character journey, you can go on a character journey in many different ways, whether your character is on screen or not. And I think that soap opera fans need to be more open to that type of change because, you know, as we've mentioned, you know, from the top of the show, like, I don't think that, you know, we're going to get that type of change from these particular shows, not anything like drastic, not anything major, but like, we do need to see some kind of gradual change, right? Like, I I think that we need to, we do need to at least see that same care um you know being treated to our shows and our characters that they used to have whether or not you can afford it just write it in the script (laughs) 
You know, just put it dialogue in the goes a long way, man. Give me some yeah. If you explain it to me the right way, I will. I'll buy anything. Yeah, and dialogue is free. Exactly. Mostly. <laughs> I will uh, say there's one exception to that rule. You know, the whole "I'll go along with you if you tell me well," and that is where single couple shippers are concerned. Single couple shippers are a different animal. Who, you know. It, you can write a great story that to a non-single couple shipper from the outside looking at it can say, oh, wow, it really makes sense that that couple broke up and you know maybe they'll get back together, maybe they won't. But single couple shippers are gonna be like, no, it makes no sense, they would never break up. You know, like they, that, is, that is written in stone that this couple is gonna be together till the day they die. And those, and, and you know, that's one of those things where, I'm set, where I've said before that fans can be their own worst enemy. You know, like that's not good story. You're writing yourself into a corner if you're gonna if you're gonna insist that this is the only way that this couple can happen. Well, what's and also what's weird about that, and it goes back to classic soap storytelling, is that even when we had our, you know, you can see it written in the stars in game couples, mm -hmm. they were still allowed to kind of break up and have other relationships. Mm -hmm. You know, like. John, well, uh, well, well, Holden. The they were allowed. Oh, no. They were allowed, but there was still there were still planes yeah, flown yeah. over studio lots and lots of angry letters. I just wanted yeah, to. I just wanted to preface like, that. The president of, of NBC once told me I was talking to him about Passions. It was about a year into Passions' run, and um, they had broken up Louise and Sheridan, and fans were livid and saying they would never watch the show again. And I. Ben somebody, I can't remember his last name, Ben Sherwood or something like that, was the president of NBC. And he said, you know what I love more than anything? When a fan tells me, if you don't put so-and-so together, I will never watch the show again. He said, because that is a fan who is hooked for life. They are gonna be hooked for life, waiting for that person to get back together. And I think the modern executives have forgotten that, you know, that they're, 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 they're so caught up in the idea that you have to give the audience what it that says it wants, that they're not willing to give them like actual good story. Like trust your writers, let your writers write. Don't come in there and insist, well, this is what has to be. Uh, Dina Higley, I think it was, told me about a situation where she had mapped out like a year worth of storyline. And she sat down with, with an executive from the show she was with at the time. And he was like, oh, that's awesome. Okay, now what we need to do is put a train wreck here, put a tornado here and put a, you know, whatever here. And she was like, you can't just take a year's worth of story and say, okay, now we're gonna throw these life, oh, and I need three people to die this year. You know, like, let your writers write. That's what you hired them to do, trust them. And, yeah, and the other thing is like, okay, yeah, you're gonna, okay, if you're gonna kind of put people in a position where it's your couple or nothing, you're gonna get your couple and your couple is going to get nothing. I'm going to bring it back to General Hospital. You, you know, these Sam and Jason fans, Hey, y'all have your couple, and every day you're on Twitter complaining about the story that, or, or should I say, the non-story that they're getting. Oh, they can't be happy. They can't have anything. They're not, you know, there. There's nothing meaningful going on here. Why can't they have? Okay, well, maybe they could have those things if they were allowed to exist separately, and have some things that were not all about their coupledom because what you've done is you've essentially handcuffed these writers. They have to write this couple as a couple. And if they can't come up with 
you I mean there's only so much story for a happy couple and they've already given it to them they have the kid they have the home they've had these adventures you know what I mean so it's like what do you want what 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 do you want there's only one you know the only thing left that they basically can give them is a huge you know blowout wedding Mm -hmm. It's been 20 years. If you're not going to let them separate and have separate adventures, but still have this tie and come back to, if you're not going to let them, you know, Josh and Reva, Nikki and Victor, if you're not going to let them have that type of epic, you know, together apart type of story, what, what do you want? And that is exactly it, the together apart story. Because for me, the ultimate romance story, and they had a chance to do this with Lily and Kane, but they caved to the single couple strippers, so it didn't happen. But you know, you tear your couple apart, and then you do an epic story, an epic romantic story where whether it's Kane trying to win back Lily, or Jason trying to win back Sam, or heck, Sam trying to win back Jason, doesn't have to be you know a one-way street. You tell this epic romance story where the other person's like, nope, I'm done, you've hurt me too often, I'm moving on, I I'm done with you. And they have to change their, the other person has to change their ways, change what caused them to break up and prove themselves worthy of the other person. But can they do it before the other person has found a new love? I mean, that's like, that's story gold, you know? Well, I Haven't they to... done that with Nick and Sharon 16 times? <laughs> right, I wanted, I wanted to throw this to Ashley because I, I know we, this is something that we've spoken about before. So I kind of, I want to hear your um, thoughts on this. My opinion on this has changed throughout the years. I will admit that me and Richard are on completely opposite sides of this. Historically, I've always felt as though single couple shippers are important to you know the fan base and important to uh, the viewership of a show. But I also now believe that they are detrimental to the show and i did not believe that before and i think me and richard have sparred back and forth on this a couple of times uh, i personally as much as i was a hillary and devon fanatic and i was i was not so obsessed with them that i said you know they have to be together at all times what i said was they have to make sense. They have to be given the exact same opportunities, mm -hmm. same opportunities and storylines as their white counterparts. And for a long time, they were not. They were broken up over dumb. They broke up because Hillary tripped somebody. I just felt like it was really. <laughs> I, I thought it was lame. I thought the affair was great. As much as I didn't like it, I thought the affair was great. I thought you know a lot of the turmoil they had in between in their relationship, you know, was good up until that point. But I feel as though there are some, you know, people who do watch the show, 90% of the fans will tell you that even though they have a favorite couple, they will continue watching even if their favorite couple is not together yeah. or they're dragged through the mud or whatever. They'll say, oh, I'm never going to watch it again just to get a rise out of people on Twitter. They don't really mean that because two days later, they're live tweeting the show. And I'm like, <laughs> I thought you just said that you weren't going to watch the show anymore. One of the reasons Ashley and I clashed in the past, I'm willing to bet. Um, I don't, you know, I, I clashed with a lot of people. So forgive me, Ashley. I don't remember our particular arguments, but I'll bet that this is why. When Hillary and Devon were apart, or when they were together actually at one point, I said, you know what, they need to split up. And here's the problem, you know, you have these conversations on Twitter and you can't actually express a whole thought. You can only express 160 characters. And, mm -hmm. and it, I was basically trying to tell Hillary and Devon fans that breaking the couple up 
was ultimately good for them because then you tell the kind of story I was saying, you know, where it's a big redemption story and they eventually end up together, but they cause havoc in other people's lives like Victor and Nikki have over the years. You know, you can be a supporter of a couple and see that there's good story for that couple in breaking them up and then eventually getting them back together. But a lot of times with single couple shippers, they don't see that. They don't see that you can break, that even though you break the couple up, you're ultimately wanting them back together. Like I liked Hillary and Devon, but I got a really bad reputation as hating Hillary and Devon because I understood the logic of breaking them up. And I understood that being a long-term story that this wasn't a, you know, it's not, what do they say? It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And yeah. so I liked Hillary and Devon, but I wanted to see them have good story. And to me, that good story needed to come from, at least partly, them going apart. And and so, of course, the Hillary and Devon shippers started saying that I hated Hillary and Devon when nothing was, you know, that was well, farther from the truth. The issue with that was that, and I, sometimes I agreed, sometimes I didn't, but the issue with that for most Hillary and Devon fans was that they had never been happy together. A lot of these other couples had been happy together mm -hmm. for six months, a year at a time. Yeah. Hillary yeah, that's and Devon were never happy together for more than yeah, maybe never got a break. Two, two or three months. So when you say to break yeah. them up, it's like, how much can you put on one couple? Can they be happy? The only time they were happy is when she got pregnant and then they killed her. So <laughs> it's like, yeah, right. it's just give us something so that we will be more receptive to the whole, you know, grand breakup, you know, fi finding your way back to each other. They never yeah, gave us a very, 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 very fair point. So that brings me actually to, um, you know, another classic versus innovation, you know, topic in this, in this, uh, this subject. Basically, do you guys feel that the super, the super couple culture of the 80s and 90s do you feel that maybe that kind of set us up in some ways? You know, shipping culture is something that extends to multiple shows, multiple movies and franchises all across the board. It's something that is new for a lot of fandoms, but it's something that's always been kind of core for soap operas. But having the super couple be the focal point of a storyline, like there was, a number of them throughout the decades. There were a number of situations that these couples could go through, but as long as they came together in the end, it was fine. But now people still hold these same expectations for the characters. And like, do you think that's realistic? Do you think that we should hang on to that and continue to tell that kind of story? Um, I wanna throw this to John since we haven't heard from him in a bit. Of course you did. I, the one time I was not prepared to be thrown to. Um, you should so, always be prepared. That's why I, I did it. I know. I, I knew when you started, I was like, he's going to throw it to me. So here's yeah. the thing. I, I'm trying to word this correctly. I hate couples. Like it's weirdest thing to say. Like I am here for the story of shows. Oh, I could care less about any of these super couples. I could care less about the single couples and the single couple shippers. Like I will argue with all of them every day because I want to break up your favorite couple, but ultimately because I want to see that journey that Richard just talked about. I want to see that that people be happy and then get the ultimate payoff that Ashley was wanting. And I want, you know, what Dylan was discussing with these people having full lives to be a thing. And I think right now our focus is just on shipping 
and that shipping war of we have to have these great couples and they have to be able to be happy 24 7 and nothing can come in their way and but i want them to be on 24 7 and i want them to have great story and it's just these two ideas don't mesh i would love a return to like you said the classic um super couple journey because they yes they're in game but that doesn't mean that that in game is today can i ask you know? a question yes ma'am so basically i agree with what you just said however here's the problem that i'm having the reason why couples are the focus the reason why single couple shippers are so loud the reason why all of this is happening is it not because those are the only stories that are being agreed shown? i um, feel like if you gave us point. something else give us different storylines give us something but, innovative give us something different give us some give us a story a that doesn't have anything to do with a couple and then maybe but, we can shift that a little bit i think also a, a huge part of the problem and if you go back and you look at you know quote unquote, the golden age of super couples. Let's look at who these characters were. Mm -hmm. Reva Shane is freaking iconic, all right? Josh and Reva were a thing, but Reva Shane, you know, baptized in the Springfield Fountain, that is a thing that anybody who talks about Guiding Light mm -hmm. will talk about forever. Mm -hmm. Brooke and Ridge on The Bold and the Beautiful. Sure, you have people who are bridge, bridge, destiny, but you have a lot more people who are like, I love Brooke Logan, the slut from the valley, her battles with Stephanie. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you know, General Hospital. Sure, you have your, you know, diehard Sunny and Brenda fans, but you have people who are, I love Brenda Barrett. And right. what you don't have now is they don't invest in individual characters the way that they used to. Like, let's take Days of Our Lives. One of their most popular couples right now are Ben and Sierra. Take her away from him. What does he have? Abs. <laughs> oh, they're really good abs though. But here's but here's here's my counterpoint to that. What you why am I invested in Ben? Why? Right. But here's the thing, what you just highlighted, I feel like what you just highlighted really kind of brings focus to what, was what we talked about in our last episode too. If you really think about it, in many of these couples, the most important, relatable and exciting and thrilling character has always been the woman, right? Mm. No, you just said it, you just outlined it. Would you rather watch Reva? Absolutely. Would you rather watch Brooke over Ridge? Absolutely. Would you rather watch Brenda over Sunny? Absolutely. Oh yeah, yeah. And the men, the men were fine being the men were fine being kind of dumb himbos with you know with with bodies or heroes or this or that. I feel like I never really needed that much from the male characters, but, but now that they don't. Sonny is an example in that though, because Sonny was part of Brenda and Sonny, Brenda and Carly. He's had more than one couple. And, you know, I know a lot of people who, who the whole hate Sonny Corinthos thing, but he is 
inarguably one of the most popular characters on daytime. I mean, I have, you know, if I put, if I, I don't put discount all, that, I don't think, I, mean, I don't think anyone was discounting that. All of his series have been with strong female characters. Exactly. Okay, yeah, but but he's, he's part of that. Not the woman by herself. It's not the woman by herself. It's also the woman with him. Now, I do think there are couples where that's true. I think like, you know, like Sunny, uh, 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 Brooke and Ridge. I'm gonna say something that is- I'm gonna have to disagree with that, but go ahead. I'm gonna say something that's against everything that sort of daytime longevity goes for. And I think this is one of the biggest problems in the genre. And that is the refusal to shake things up. And when I say that, what I mean is, if you look back at the early years of, of The Young and the Restless, you know, you had the Brookses and the Williamses. Then eventually you had the Abbots and you had the, the uh, Newmans. When's the last time we had an entirely new family come along and shake up and push some of the older characters off? We keep writing the same stories for like, whether it's whether it's Brook and Ridge or, you know, these other people who, let's face it, they are not in their 20s anymore. And yet they're still telling the same stories with them that they were being told, that were being told in their 20s. It's time for them to sort of like move back to the back a little bit and let the next generation come up or even get rid of whole families and introduce new people. But again, that's the kind of innovation we're talking about that daytime will not do because they're so afraid that, well, if we get rid of these characters, then, you know, if we actually make Adam pay for his sins and we get rid of the character, whereas, you know, you've talked about Hollyoaks a lot, Hollyoaks will get rid of people. Hollyoaks will be like, okay, we're introducing a new we're family. Like, we're doing this character off, you know? Didn't they try that with the Rosaleses? That was a really bad example. Exactly. I mean, they did it. They did it. It's what you were looking for. Yeah, it happened. No, you got no, it. No. But. You know why that was a bad example? Because the Rawls-Alliances were not introduced. They invaded. You know? There's a like, like yeah. if you look back at when the Abbott family was first introduced, we met Jack first. We got to know Jack. Then we met John. Then we met, you know, we met with them. We met uh, 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 his his mm. siblings. Our daughter was there by himself for I'm, a while, Yeah, I'm going to say I fully disagree because one, number one, I feel like invaded is a very poor choice of words. It kind of feels a little bad. Um, well, but I also think that, um, but I, I'm going to have to disagree because also they were, they were very much introduced. You kind of got them in staggered doses, um, but it didn't work. It didn't work, but I, yeah, but I, also I would say anyway. it didn't work not because <laughs> of the actors and not because the characters were bad, but because the stories they told were bad and the choices yeah. that they made were bad. It, yeah. I, I think had the Rosaleses been told with better storylines that we could have cared, but nobody cared about the damn food truck or any of their like oh, introduction storylines. Right. Like um, they, they could have told that something that that made me care because i still to this day don't think i care about any of those characters and right. that's my problem is it goes back to i think what ashley just said to to kind of spark this discussion is the only stories we get for these characters are their couples we don't get them doing any type of journeys or any type of storylines for themselves or being able to tell innovative storylines. You mentioned going on the JT domestic abuse storyline that could have been, and it frustrates me to the end of the earth. Cause that could have been one, a very important storyline for the viewership right. of YNR. It was innovative and, then it, turned into... and it turned into this plot driven 
primetime Scooby-Doo mystery that just was awful. And it could have been so much more. I actually know that we've been talking about Gary and Gray and Chantel on EastEnders. And I'm shaking and crying and like Mm. literally feeling all these emotions for these characters that have been on less than a year. Yet you're telling the same journey with characters that have been on there for decades. And I have so much more investment. Yet we didn't get that because single couple shippers and fandoms just wouldn't allow things to be told. Well, but that leads into my, I think, I think we, I think it's time to move on to another one. Um, but I think that kind of, you know, brings in my next question. Um, you know, soap operas used to be really innovative. That used to be the genre that would tell provocative stories and would push the boundaries on these sorts of things. Um, you know, talking back to what we were just talking about with Hollyoaks and EastEnders, you see the UK soap operas, they use a lot of classic soap opera storytelling, 100%, but they do it in an innovative and fresh way. So it's something that's doable. You know, do you think that the reason why our soap operas haven't really tried this blend of classic and innovative storytelling, is it because they feel like it just doesn't suit their show and that their show is one particular kind of brand and it has to stay that way? Or do you think that our society has changed? Uh, I want to throw this to, to Jonathan to see what you have to say. And then I'm going to throw it to Ashley next. I mean, yes, I, I think... I think they could blend these in an interesting fashion. I think the problem is that we're so focused on the viewership that's there and not offending anybody and just keeping them that we don't push those boundaries. We'd rather stay within the safe confines of telling the same stories with the same few people than push any buttons because, well, if we lose Susie in Detroit, then we're never getting her back. (laughs) um yeah we've talked about this before and my answer is going to remain the same they cater to the flyover states they cater Mm. to those fans that have been watching for you know certain amount of years and you know they don't like to see anything that doesn't conform to their reality i mean every time you introduce a gay character there's a bunch of Ooh, let me watch my language. There's a bunch of homophobes that like to scream up and down everybody's timeline about how this is the most mm-hmm. disgusting thing you've ever seen. Well, if you stepped outside of your little, you know, two bedroom home in Nebraska, you would see the gay people are everywhere, you know, or, oh, Devon doesn't need to be a billionaire anyway. Why? Everybody else is. Why? Why, why can't the black boy be, be a billionaire? I don't see what the big deal is. And so there's that, but there's the number one thing that I absolutely despise. I've said it once. I've said, I'll continue saying it. The word escapism. I hate that word. I hate it. I despise it. If one more person says, says, I watch soaps to escape from reality, I'm going to literally slam their head into a wall. (laughs) Because this is like, I don't understand that. The world is a messed up place right now. I understand that. Trump's America sucks. I get it. I do. So sometimes you want to watch something that, you know, has nothing to do with that. Watch Nickelodeon then for all that. I don't want my soaps to escape reality that, that much. I really don't. I don't want them to be so closed inside this bubble that they have no idea how to tell a story that actually means something to somebody. I don't want to see that. I'm sorry. I Maybe I would be more 
you know, susceptible to that had I not started watching the UK soaps. If I wasn't watching a storyline with, you know, uh, grooming and abuse and, you know, rape done correctly, not that you can do rape correctly, you know what I mean? Like, you know, these storylines that these people are, are reaching out to different, you know, um, organizations to get opinions on so they know how to tell the story the right way. I that's what I want in US soaps and it will never happen because y'all are so focused on I want to escape from reality. Well, okay. Well then you know. it's a though and that's the problem. It's a it's a matter of balance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know yeah. I mean? Like yeah, I think if you look at General Hospital just this last couple of weeks with the Mike storyline, that mm -hmm. was very well told. That was beautifully beautifully told. There were a few flaws okay. in the story. But but it was it was I mean you cannot call that escapism that was in your face and of course what ended up happening was just like with Stone's death years ago there was a portion of the audience who was like I, I you know that loved it and a portion of the audience that that absolutely hated it because they were like this is too dark mm -hmm. uh, I it, it's a, it's a tough balance I always say that I think the hardest job in the world is being a soaphead writer because. Your job is to make the entire soap audience happy, but no four members of the soap audience want the same thing. You know, like they all want something different. So how do you sort of figure out that that perfect sweet spot that blends the escapism and the realism and the this and the that and gives everybody what they're looking for? But Richard, so using that as an example, uh, I thought the Mike storyline, the ending, I'm only going to focus on that, was told beautifully and told really well. But talking about it being so dark, that's because, in my opinion, they didn't balance that at all. It felt like we went from the Mike storyline to Alexis's arthritis to uh, this, you know, it just felt like dark, dark, dark that entire week. It, when that was such a heavy story, it needed to be balanced with maybe not a uh, romance sweeping on the other side, but something a little bit, you know, more than we're watching Robert Scorpio get beat up and all yeah, of a sudden just like dark, it, it, there wasn't balance. That is, that that's is right. something that General Hospital has struggled with really since and the good years is its dark yeah. side. That, honestly, it's the lack of balance. I've said before, a lot of what they're struggling with now, those seeds were sown years and years and years ago when they started decimating core families and they started shifting the canvas to only highlight certain characters and only tell certain stories. And it's it's like back in the day, if you watched, if you watched long enough, there was going to be something for you. There was going to be some family drama. There was going to be some sort of business drama. There was going to be something going on at the hospital. There was going to be something in the PCPD or the WSB. There was going to be some shady activity going on on the docks. There was going to be something for you to invest in. And now they've gotten the show to the point where it satellites around I'm just going to say it. It satellites around the mob and it satellites around Sunny. And 90% of the stories that they tell have to connect to the Corinthos clan or there's nothing happening. Is that any different than the fact that all the stories on the Bold and the Beautiful connect to the Logans or, or the Foresters or that all the stories on the Young and the Restless connect to the Newmans or the Abbots? I mean, that's that's what soap operas do. They, they from mm. the very that I don't that, think that I don't think that's the same at all. 
Yeah. Were you finishing your point, Dylan? Sorry, go yeah. ahead. No, um, it, and it's like they're, they threw the show so far out of balance that there's really, there's, there's, your options are very limited. And so when they get to a point where they're telling this big umbrella story that just so happens to connect to the Corinthos family, there's literally almost nothing else on the canvas for that. I mean, what were they going to balance it with? What else is happening? Maybe Taggart and TJ and you know what I mean? Like they, 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 what else were they going to do? They had no, they have nothing because every story right. has to satellite around that family. Every story, every character, every tale that they tell. And I think it's different. The reason why I think it's different than what Richard was bringing up with the Logans and the Newmans, uh, you know, going back to what I was just talking about before, you know, that that lack of innovating while using their classic storytelling elements um, and just like thinking about like their show's brand and like what their show is at its core. If you think about it, the Logans and the Foresters, they are the core of the show in a lot of different ways. Not core because they're just because of the families that they've been there for a very long time, but core because they tie back to what the show is integrally about. about. It's about the fashion business. And it's about these people who were the have-nots, who became the haves by marrying into this big family. You have YNR, who is, in a lot of ways, it was the family soap, but now it's the business soap. And the Newmans are big business in this town city. But General Hospital historically wasn't just about the mob. And I think that's where that difference kind of lies. Um, I do think the mob has been a real problem for the show. I, I agree. I think, I think you know, as has been pointed out a million times over the years, the mob was introduced at the height, uh, was, was sort of really became big at the height of the Sopranos. And the Sopranos lasted four or five years. And here we are decades later, and we still have, you know, the mob being the central focus. But to go back to your original question, I think the real reason that we don't see more, you know, innovation or more, um, you know, social storylines, things like that, comes down to what I was saying, you know, really almost at the beginning of the show, fear. The the executives who are in charge of daytime in America live in a in a foxhole of fear that if they do anything different than what they are doing, they will, as Dylan said, you know, and, and I think all of you have said it at one point or another, they will scare off the audience and they have so little audience as it is that they live in fear of driving off that audience, even though ironically, that fear is now driving away the audience. It's a it's a vicious circle. It's very true, it's very true. And I think, honestly, my, my next quick question for the group as well, um, feel free to chime in, anyone, is do you think that the only way that we can see this kind of storytelling blend is maybe if we get a new soap opera in whatever form that may be? Uh, any thoughts about that? Mm. <laughs> I think no, I don't think that's true. I think- Yeah. I, I would like to. I would like to believe, and maybe this is just me being a cockeyed optimist, but I would like to believe that at some point, you know, things are gonna. The ratings are gonna fall enough that that the. the I think they have. <laughs> I think they already have. And we talk about how low the ratings are, and they really are. But then, in the same breath, you know, earlier in the show, we were talking about the success of shows like Pose, things like that. But those shows don't get the ratings that daytime do. You know, I mean, that's one of the reasons daytime has always been, 
so successful is, or has lasted as long as it has, is that daytime historically paid the bills for less successful shows. It's not as true now, but it's still successful. If they weren't making money off these shows, they wouldn't be on the air. You know, that's, Absolutely. that's, that's, so I think, I do think that as the ratings fall, that, that sooner or later there's going to be a day of reckoning and hopefully it will be before the ax falls. That's my big fear is that they don't, you know, make these changes and that the, the four remaining go the same way as the other shows that have. Mm. Were you saying something Ashley about that too? Mm, no, I was just saying that I, I'm not, I'm not open to the idea of a brand new soap <laughs> um, just because I, I feel like there are so many primetime shows that are soaps, even if they don't want to admit it right <laughs> Right now, that it, it just, it would pretty much be the same. They've tried the Hulu thing. They've tried, you know, other, uh, you know, experiments that have not worked. I'll just stick with my UK soaps if I really want. Like, if, <laughs> if I want what I'm looking for in the US, I'll go to the UK. And if at any point the US decides to catch up, then I'll tune in. But, you know. That's that's all I can do at this point. <laughs> Honestly, I, I feel the same. So I wanted to to kind of bring it to this final question. Um, I feel like we've had some really good discussion points throughout the whole time. Um, boxing. Oh yeah, that's the that's, that's the point of the show. That's fun. I want to hear. You know, I don't I don't agree with everything that everyone's saying, but I want everyone to have their chance to voice their opinions. Um, but. I wanted to know, this is something that's been brought up multiple times throughout our discussion. You know, we've spoken about how audience have changed and how, you know, we as a culture have this ADD when it comes to, you know, long stories and like fully getting invested in these characters. If these shows were to ever go back to, you know, that kind of long form storytelling and we had to wait years and years and years for the payoff, do you, even as a soap viewer, do you think it's something that you could find yourself investing in? I want to hear from Dylan on this. I think if it's told in a way, I, I think if it's told in a way where it doesn't all become about you waiting for the payoff, there has to be, you know, things that happen in between the conception mm -hmm. and the end. Because if it's all about me waiting for the end, then yeah, I'm gonna give you a few months and then I'm gonna be like, mm -hmm. okay, wrap it up, wrap it up, wrap it up. Mm -hmm. But you know, it's it's like Richard brought up, you know, the spill the Philip Spaulding saga. There was a lot that happened in those years, you know, like Days of Our Lives. It, there was a lot that happened in the time we were waiting for, you know, Mike Horton's paternity to be revealed. Right, right. All about getting to that end point. So I think if they can figure out a way to tell long form stories that also incorporate, you know, short form storytelling, you know, little, you know, short form plots that keep us engaged and keep us, you know, going along with them until we get to the end. And, you know, maybe we can kind of get back to that somewhat. But I don't think, uh, I'm just going to be honest, I, I don't think that we have the trust in the genre that we did back in the day. So I don't know if anybody will really trust them to tell a story that's going to take you know, four, yeah, five, the, six years to, right. to culminate. The time jump on days was supposed to be that. You know, on paper, it was supposed to be 
this long thing that was supposed to get us fully invested as to why these weird situations and twists and turns happened, you know, mm -hmm. while the show was technically was, you know, quote unquote away or whatever, you know, because we missed the whole year. So, you know, that was supposed to be that. But very quickly, you know, stories aside, very quickly people turned on it. They didn't want that that return. So it makes me, it does make me question because like I fully agree with what you're saying, Dylan, but I also, you know, in looking in the way that people, even the most sane of soap viewers also had so many weird concerns with this way at trying to tell an old classic story in like a new kind of refreshing way. Um, so I want to hear from, from you, Ashley, too. What would you, like if, Soaps went back to telling these long form stories. Would it be something that you think you could get invested in again? Yeah, I absolutely 100% agree with everything Dylan just said. That's exactly what I was going to say. You're going to have to have that long story lingering, but it's going to have to encompass a whole bunch of other little subplots. It's going to have to, you know, be under an umbrella of something else. It can't just be, this is like, for example, Telling the audience in advance is a terrible idea. Yeah. Yes. But they do it all the time. You're, you're telling us this, this thing that is supposed to be explosive. You're telling us this by some exposition or some flashback or some, oh, my God, I'm really so-and-so's father. And then 18 years later, well, not 18 years in real time. You know what I mean. <laughs> um, all of a sudden, it's revealed. But it's like, you told us this mm -hmm. already. So why would I care about that? But yeah, it, it it can be done. I I am not sure if again the audience has the patience. And guess what? I'm not sure if the executives have the patience either. And that that's a good point that I don't think is talked about enough. I feel as though that is a really every, good point. At one point, every all of the four shows that are existing that are lasting have been accused of having too much control. That is not the writer. It's the network, it's the executive, mm -hmm. it's this person, it's that person. Everybody's got their hand in the pot. So I don't think that they would trust the process. I actually think we would be more trusting of it than they are because I feel like not only are we into this whole instant gratification, so are they because they want their ratings to go up immediately. And if you're taking mm. four or five years to tell us the story when you can tell it to us in six months in the rating spike, then we're going to prefer that that option. But that I think a also... Very that's super important to go off that is you're expecting one vision to be there for four or five years outside of being i mean yeah. we're rotating yeah. these writers in and out in well, a uh, quick succession <laughs> like try and tell a long story and then i'm going to come up and play off that no i'm going to cut that story in half and then tell my own story and that's mm -hmm. the problem is we don't have a clear vision that's long term mm -hmm. for any of these shows yeah heck we can't even get a year long-term story on any of these shows much less multiple years yeah because it's very precarious yeah because you never know there might be a regime change at any moment is is what it feels yeah, like unless, on a lot of these shows unless it's bold and beautiful and then you're stuck with us for the yeah. rest correct of life. you will watch these mannequins <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. uh what about you richard if you're if your soaps went back to telling long-form stories how would you feel about it are you invested are you ready to buckle down for the next one to three years watching a storyline well, if you're doing it right, you don't even notice. Um, you know, the the actual, you know, method that Agnes Nixon always taught about soap storytelling was the old 
idea of a stovetop where you had three or four things that were just constantly bubbling and you moved them from two on the back burner, one on the front burner, and then you moved them all around. If you're doing that, and this is, you know, sort of what Dylan was saying, um, if you're doing that, you don't notice that it's taking five years to tell a story. I think right now, honestly, I think the bigger problem, it's funny, it's sort of the, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Because I think on the one hand, there is the writer and the executives who are like, no, we, you know, we're, we're gonna tell this story in six months. And the reason they're doing that is because the audience does not have the patience to do, to, to you know, like the, the minute a baby is swapped, you know, we're not going to wait two years and watch you tell this story. We want you to give that baby back now because we need our couple to be happy or we need our person to be happy or we just, you know, so it's weird. It's it's sort of a catch-22. Personally, I am all in for long-term story. I think the best, you know, years I ever watched a soap was the, I mean, I didn't watch all 18 years, obviously, but Henry Slissar was the head writer of The Edge of Night for 18 solid years. You knew what you were getting when you watched that show. Uh, and he was a great writer. Uh, but I don't think, yeah, I think there's so many different problems right now that it's a, it, it'd be tough to, to, you know, get that sort of longevity going, unfortunately. That's a great point. And basically, to close out the show, we have absolutely no answer to the question that I posed at <laughs> because everyone and on this call agrees and disagrees with various points. So if we can't figure it out, will our soaps ever figure it out? <laughs> so thank you so much, everyone, for, for chatting with me today and trying to, attempting to get to the bottom of this very confusing conundrum that is the soap opera in 2020. I think it's, it's at this day and age, something has got to change and we've, we've got to keep fighting for it. I, I really love these kind of discussions, just hearing you know, everyone else's ideas and, and stances on this because there is no right answer. Um, you know, even though I pose the question, there absolutely is no right answer. Uh, I know how I feel. I know, you know, Ashley knows how she feels, so on, so on. But again, I thank you all for joining today. Thank you, all of our listeners. Uh, please be sure to follow our lovely panel on Twitter. We have John at SoapWikiJohn, Ashley at RecklessLove with a W, Richard at AllTVShade, Dylan at Dylan underscore St. James, and I am at NotCorion. You can follow Artake Media at Artake Media on Twitter. And please, when you're listening to Soapboxing Pod, please use the hashtag Soapboxing Pod so we can know what you're enjoying, what you feel about this discussion, and where you stand on the side of classic storytelling and innovation and all the weird, in, you know, in, 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 I can't say the word, intricacies. <laughs> intricacies. <laughs> All these weird different intersections as well between you know these points. I want to hear everyone's thoughts. Uh, once again, thank you for tuning in. This has been a really great episode, and I can't wait to do this again. Thanks, guys. Bye. 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 -bye. bye, -bye. No, John, we're not doing the bye-bye. <laughs> bye, guys. This is my show. <laughs>